How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of your favorite swim bait podcast, Scales and Tails Podcast, episode 75, big old 75. You know, we're only 25, 25 away from 100. So middle of April, tail end of April, we should be right around, right around episode 100, which is very crazy to think about. But anyway, we are joined by a Tennessee guy who, big fan of the podcast. I'm a big fan of what uh, what he does, and we'll we'll get into that later. I don't want to kind of elaborate on it just yet, but I'm sure if you guys are in Swimbait Universe, you guys, when I when I introduce this gentleman, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know this guy. This guy is like big fish guru, and then that's uh, the big the trophy hunting stuff is kind of probably what a lot of the show will be elaborating on, whether that's with big swim baits, big worms, uh, big jigs. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to all of it, and we'll we'll go down. I'm sure quite a bit of rabbit holes because he's also very big into like the history of trophy bass fishing. So, without making you guys wait any longer, we are joined by Mr. Jason Flesher tonight, all the way down from Tennessee. He is joining us, and he's gonna he's gonna lay out like how he got into fishing and and what drives him to to go out and trophy hunt for these gigantic bass that they have down there. So, Jason, introduce yourself, and we will get into all the good stories tonight. Hey, thanks for having me on, Adrian. Uh, Jason Flesher, most of the people in the community uh, know me as Jay Flesh. Jay Flesh. Uh, just a, just a uh, uh, student of the game and a big fan of anything big bass fishing and uh, consider myself a trophy bass hunter, but uh, that's something that's relatively new to me within the last three to five years. I've been kind of going on a deep dive and studying about big bass and really trying to uh, – trying to tap into what these guys who have all these huge numbers know that I didn't know, you know? And so it's just kind of taken me on this journey of uh, learning about the history of big bass, as well as learning to target big fish specifically. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you're the type of guy who, who goes out and swim bait fishes, but it's not because it's uh, you know, that, that quoting Jason Carroll from a long, long time ago, uh, quote unquote, that cool kid thing. Like you're going out there, whether it's with a swim bait, with a big jig, you know, with a 13-inch worm, you're going out there to to catch the trophy fish that are swimming around in these lakes and and uh, and targeting where these big fish are. Absolutely, absolutely. I will say that I do throw about 98% swim baits. <clears throat> that may be a drawback at some times. I'm really hooked on throwing the big swim baits. Uh, I do occasionally pick up a big jig. Uh, I occasionally pick up a 16-inch worm and throw it. Uh, there's about a month there during the summer where that 16-inch worm can really get some good bites. Uh, I'm not opposed to doing whatever it takes to catch trophy-class fish. Uh, I usually don't throw a lot of smaller baits, but I, I do see where that, that could be an advantage sometimes. Uh, I'm a little bit hard-headed, so <laughs> I do find myself with the big swim bait in my hand more times than not. Yeah, exactly. And it's there's like, obviously we'll get into it a little bit later too but there's just something to to have that mindset oh i'm i'm fishing this this nine ten inch shad glide like if i get a bite it could honestly be the bite of a lifetime and and why would i exaggerate uh other forms of fishing if i could just lock it down with one bite with this gigantic quote-unquote gigantic obviously everybody's stuff's a little bit different but but this with this gigantic bait i have tied on right now Absolutely. And that's that's really the draw for me with the big baits is just knowing that uh, any cast, especially once you learn the areas 
on your waters where the big fish are likely to be and, and how to use that bait uh, specifically to target those fish. You just, it's, it's always exciting. You just always know that that next bite could be the bite of a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's kind of, I feel like that's probably what, when guys get into swim bait fishing, it, it's kind of uh, along those lines of that ideology. And then I think probably after a couple of years of doing it, they realize, you know, oh, it's a tool in the box. And then whether or not they're tournament guys, they go one way or if they're really just trying to catch the biggest fish they can, then that that's the other. I feel like those are the two paths. Like guys put it in their tackle box and like, okay, this when I when I need to catch a kicker fish, I'll pull out this, you know, seven inch shad glide. And then the other side is, oh, I want to go out and I want to catch a 12 pounder and, and break the state record or, or whatever it may be. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go fish this canine or just whatever it is, HPH or whatever's out there. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I've noticed just in my time in the swim bait community, there seems to be those two sides and there, and there's nothing wrong with either one of those two sides. You know, I, I, when I first got into it, I just thought, well, everybody who's throwing swim baits is, is automatically targeting bigger fish. Yeah. And that's probably true to some extent, but I do think there are, there's, like you said, there's two columns of guys. Some guys are just happy going out and catching fish on swim yeah, baits, yep. you know. And uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. For me, it's it's all about the draw of catching that true giant fish. You know, the the goal is always to catch the biggest fish, and that has a downside. That cost me a lot of trips with skunks because I'm throwing a bait that not many fish are gonna be trying to eat on any given day. You know. Yeah, exactly. And it's always that constant battle like of mentality. Uh, if I stick it out for another day, is that going to be the day I, I'm rewarded with, with XYZ pound fish? Or is it going to be another day where I go home with my tail tucked between my between my butt and I'm like, oh man, like can't believe I just went out there and casted this you know, seven ounce bait for nine hours. But you know what? I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do it again tomorrow. That's it. That's it. It's, an, it's addictive. Uh, it's something that Sometimes I find myself asking, like, what what am I doing here? You know, you just go through those spells where you're just not getting bit. But you always know when you have the big bait tied on that any skunk streak, no matter how long it is, could end with the bite of your lifetime, you know. And that's that's what keeps me coming back. Yeah, man, exactly. And I think that's kind of the lure for, for a lot of people is is just that, you know, that exact thing you just said is is any bite or any trip could, could be that one trip. And uh, kind of... Since we kind of got into it, how how did you get into fishing to start with? When did when did this passion for for you know just going out and catching fish? When did that start for you? Uh, I've been fishing pretty much my whole life. Uh, my dad was a bass fisherman. He would take us, me and my sister, when we were kids, or me and a friend. We would go with him, uh, mostly fishing you know farm ponds and small lakes around where I grew up, and uh, he would bass fish but he would with conventional tackle and he, he would usually have us fishing for bluegill or you know catfish when we were really young and that's kind of how it started and then when i was about nine or ten years old i i never really had a passion for fishing uh it was kind of boring to me sitting around waiting on a fish to bite but i would always watch my dad and be like man i want to do what he's doing you know he's he's constantly moving and casting and retrieving and he's not just sitting still you know <laughs> so when i was about nine or ten he he finally uh he put me on the plastic worm and I started, started bass fishing and it took a little while to, to get the hang of that and start catching fish. And that's really when my passion for it started, uh, is 
I'm a busybody, so it's hard for me just to sit still and wait on something to happen, you know. So once I got to throw the worm around a little bit, a few spinner baits, not long after that, just, you know, just the normal conventional I mean, conventional tackle for, for bass fishing. Yep. Uh, and then I was passionate about it. When I was 16, I caught my first, what I'll call a big fish, you know, six-plus pound fish. Oh, wow. Uh, and that really that really turned the temperature up on it for me you know uh and i was pretty passionate about it through my late teens somewhere in that neighborhood uh caught several more fish over six pounds by the time i was probably 19 uh but i was i was a pretty wild character too i got involved in drugs and alcohol in my late teens uh and those those things did probably deter me from fishing as much as I probably could have or should have at that time. But it was just always something throughout my whole life. I wasn't serious about bass fishing all those years, but it was something that I would always do from time to time. Uh, if I had some free time, I had friends that fished, you know, and we'd go out and bass fish. So pretty much my whole life I've been fishing. Uh, it wasn't until 2018 that I went to work for a new company and there was a couple guys there that were just getting into bass fishing. And I was like, well, you know, I've, I've been bass fishing pretty much my whole life. And they just, they didn't have a lot of experience with it and started yeah. asking me if I'd go out kayak fishing with them. And I ended up borrowing a, a extra kayak that one of them's brother or somebody had and went out with them. And uh, it just started, it just rekindled that fire for me. You know, I'd raised two sons and spent a lot of time on the ball fields after I got clean, you know, and just dedicated my life to trying to be a better father and a better husband. And uh, once my kids reached that age where they were leaving high school and getting ready to go to college, I, I needed something to occupy my time. And bass fishing just kind of came back around and, and filled that void for me, you know. Your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blades. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that does make a lot of sense. And, and speaking of that void, this was actually a question that I just recently have kind of come up with because I feel like a lot of guys, um, who, who are a little bit older, older than me, obviously, which, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of guys, but, um, that like, it always seems like guys get to that, like 18, 19, like that, around that college age where you're leaving high school. And it always seems like a lot of guys not necessarily fall out of love, but they kind of, they get sidetracked and, and fishing kind of takes the back seat and stuff to it. Do you think if, uh, like if you were as, um, or I guess maybe if there was as many opportunities as there is now, like, you know, now you have high school fishing teams, college teams. I mean, you can, you could look at me, like you can start a podcast and stuff like that. Do you think if you, if there would have been like, like an outlet like that when you were younger, do you think you would have stuck with it? Or do you think it was just kind of, how how it how how it played out and that's how you grew up and you just kind of not necessarily lost interest in it but there was other stuff that intrigued you more yeah absolutely i think if we'd have had more opportunities there's a good chance that i would have been more dedicated to it than i was you know uh i i fished all those years you know but just not hardcore it wasn't i didn't eat sleep and drink bass fishing it was something i kind of did when i had some time you know 
Yeah. Uh, and there was even a year in 2009 where I really got back into bass fishing. I had a John boat, and uh, I wound up fishing this online tournament. It was the first online tournament that I had ever seen. It was a, a website called Fish Addicts, and I wound up fishing in that that year and wound up winning the, the year-end championship uh, on that website. And uh, It didn't really count for much to me. I did catch some, some good fish that year, some six- and seven-pounders. Well, the thing about that was, is you were the voting was online by everybody in on the page. There was like eight hundred people on the page at that time, I think. So those were the people who were actually voting. So, it, yeah, it was somewhat an accomplishment, but it was also kind of a which girl's prettier, who's got the most friends, you know, most people that <laughs> like him on the website, you know. So, uh, but that was that was a year that I really did fish pretty hard, as hard as I could. I was still raising my sons at that time, and. Uh, like I said, through the years, I've always had an interest in bass fishing. I just, once my kids got to the age where I wasn't able to put as much time into them, they were going off to college, I kind of got like this empty nest thing. And I just told my wife, I said, I got to find something else to do because I'm going to go crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, I can see that for sure. That's kind of when I wound up going down the rabbit hole and just, you know, my whole life, Adrian, I thought catching big bass was luck because for me it was, you know, I'd get lucky and catch a good fish uh, once a year, twice a year, three times a year. But that wasn't, that wasn't something that I knew how to, I didn't know how to target big fish. To be honest with you, I was so naive. I didn't even understand that you could learn to target big fish. It was just, you know, if you throw your worm in the right place, it happens, you know? Yeah, uh, it's, it's always that that luck thing. Like growing up, everybody's like, "Oh, you're so lucky! You're, you're catching all these fish." And at the time, I was like, "Yeah, I am lucky." And then you know, fast <laughs> forward a couple of years, and it's like, "Oh, like fish have tendencies. They're 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 like a creature of habit. Like they relate to stuff. Like, oh, okay. Like maybe I was never lucky. Well, maybe I was never lucky in that sense, but I just got lucky to where I was casting or whatever it might be." Exactly, exactly. And so once I got down the rabbit hole of studying the big bass, just trying to figure out everything I could, I started to see, you know, and I'd heard the names before, but I'd never really dove into it. You know, your Butch Browns and these guys, you know, Butch Browns got 1600 double digits to his credit. That ain't luck. You know, I don't care where you're fishing. That ain't luck. (laughs) So it kind of became this journey of like, hey, these guys know something that I don't know. And and I'm going to go as far down this rabbit hole as I got to go to find out what it is, you know? Yeah. And was that kind of where the, the lore to, to swim bait fishing started is when, when you saw Butch Brown and, and you had seen him, uh, yeah, catching these fish yeah. and see like the credit he has to these fish. And you're like, what, what the heck is he doing different than I am? You, you know, it did kind of, but not, re- it didn't, not really, you know, I knew Butch was throwing swim baits, but in my mind, that was, that was a California thing at that mm-hmm. time, you know, I'm in Tennessee, so it never really crossed my mind, like, hey, that's how I need to go about doing this, you know, I was also studying, you know, Brett Richardson, I remember reading articles in Bass magazines when I was a kid by Brett Richardson, uh, Chuck Justice, Porter Hall, you know, just a ton of other guys who were fishing conventional. I was just down every rabbit hole I could. If I found a guy who was catching numbers of big fish, I wanted to read everything I could written about him, written by him, interviews. Uh, I was just taking in everything that I could possibly take in. The thing that turned me on to swim bait fishing was a local friend of mine here knew that i was down the rabbit hole and he sent me the 
the working class zero Mike Gilbert's video of the seventeen mm. four that he caught, and yeah. it just sent me into a tailspin. There was something about the just the way that video was put together, the build up, you know, the catch. I mean, I was literally, I, I switched gears mentally by the time that video was over with. I was already online looking for swim baits, you know. Yeah, I, dude, I can't. I remember when I got into swim bait fishing. I remember seeing the video. But I, I could not tell you what actually got me into it. I don't know how I found Swimbait Badlands or how I stumbled upon it or, or whatever. I remember getting my first baits and stuff. But I, like, like what led me there? I have no idea. I could not remember for the, for the life. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago. It was only like five or six years ago. But there's just been so much that's happened since then. And like, obviously, stuff just unra- like when you get down the rabbit hole, and and you just keep going it's you just you lose time you lose track of time you lose track of money that's that's a big thing and it's just you just end up somewhere and you're like, oh what how how many turns did i just take to get down here and that's like where it's at right now i feel like it, it's pretty amazing how fast it can take over you know uh and like you said you'll you'll devote all your time money attention uh i try to keep balance in my life but it's really hard to do when you're as obsessed with something as, as i've been with targeting trophy fish and just and just learning about the history of trophy bass fishing it's that's just as exciting to me as going out and targeting them myself you know yeah so and, and speaking of the the history um we we can edit this part out I, I uh you you run like like a bass fishing trophy history page for anybody who who hasn't seen or hasn't followed or whatever and you actually interviewed the gentleman for the uh, the zine article if you guys haven't checked out the zine there is a uh what is it? is it it's trophy talk right that's what we named it trophy talk absolutely trophy talk, yep. trophy talk by double digit bass and uh whoever whoever jason um <clears throat> wants to interview her is who is able to interview that's uh that's kind of what we'll we'll continue to do moving forward we'll we'll interview these these trophy bass guys who are who who know just how to catch these big fish and who are fishy guys and um, Jason, Jason was the guy who helped write that article in, in the, in the zine. If you guys have read it and you weren't sure who double digit bass was or who runs the page or w- whatever it may be. Absolutely. You know, I started that page because I was down the rabbit hole trying to learn just every, just taking in everything I could about trophy bass fishing. And at some point at that time, there wasn't a lot of interviews online. I was reading articles and at some point you start running out of information from guys who are actually doing it you can find 10 million articles about how to catch big fish but how many how many big fish is the guy catching who wrote that you know i want to hear from the guys that i know are catching those big fish in numbers and i started that page because i wanted to pick these guys i wanted somebody to pick these guys brains it didn't even have to be me but at that time nobody was doing it or i wasn't aware of anybody doing it so I just did it myself. I started the page just to have a platform to do interviews from. That's how it started, you know. Yeah, and man. Uh, it it led to me not doing interviews because it wasn't long before I ran across uh, the Cast and Crank podcast, and mm-hmm. I thought, well, this guy's already doing what what I need done, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then Scales and Tails comes along, and I'm like, yeah, these guys have got that wrapped up. I'll just I'll just keep <laughs> doing what I'm doing over here, you know. So it's, it's been a, it's been a fun journey, man. I, I've enjoyed it. I've, I've learned a ton and we've got some big things hopefully coming up for the double digit bass page and with the, the article for the, uh, uh, S and teasing. So 
I'm stoked about it, man. Yeah, man. Um, it's it, if you, I mean, you guys uh, who who've been listening to the show for you know probably the last half a year or so. Well, probably right around since Christmas. Um, you've heard me mention. Uh, in Pursuit of Giant Pass by Bill Murphy, and you guys, I know a lot of you guys have, have gone out and bought that book, and Jason was like, uh, Jason and I talk uh, pretty frequently, and he was like, oh, you should really read this book, it's a, it's a very good book, and so like when, when I recommend that book to you, it's because Jason recommended it to me, and and I read it, and I'm like, holy crap, like like Jason Jason wasn't yanking my chain, like this is some serious um, food for thought on on topics that that you think you have figured out in your head, and then you start to read this book, and you're like, "Whoa!" Like, I've never thought about it in in this um, this POV, I guess is what you'd say, or, or this ideology. It's kind of like when you read a, a philosophy book for the first time, and they're talking about like feelings and stuff, and you're like, "Oh, so that's like what that means." And that like you read this book, and you're like, "Oh, so that's what that means," because it's just it's so mind blowing to read that book and. Um, that's why that's why I talk about it a good amount on the show is because it's it's a very um, uh, what's the word here it, it makes you think in different ways than than what kind of like the conventional thoughts are I guess absolutely uh, you know I've I've read several books uh, about big bass and that book above and beyond taught me more and like you said it's not even it does teach you a lot. Uh, about Bill's history and the things he learned about big bass behavior, tons of information. But one of the things, like you said, that you take from that book is you start to realize how to think outside the box for yourself, yep, you know, yeah. um, and that that's crucial. And I feel like ugh, this is, this is kind of the first rabbit hole of the show. So obviously guys on YouTube, um, they, I'm sure everybody who's listening has seen those, forward-facing videos where they're fishing like structure um on like a 17 foot drop with with 25 foot water right next to it and that's kind of like yes you can see it in a video and, and you're like oh yeah like but like if 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 you would have read this book like five years ago six years ago before forward-facing sonar was like a big thing and you you had this idea in your head and then you know, forward-facing sonar came out and instead of you scanning like you just started looking for brush piles like in in this setup like I, I don't know, man. Like I watch these videos and I'm like, oh, like this is what he was talking about in the book. Like it's set up exactly how he's talking about. It. It's right. It's it's shallow cover. They're sitting sitting on like secondary cover right next to deep water access, and it's like, whoa. Like this is like he he was ahead of the time to think that because he wrote it in the '90s, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, dude. So he was twenty twenty five years ahead of had of like what we're doing now just because you're able to see what's under the water and like he had he had a uh, like a vexlar style fish finder and he was figuring this stuff out for himself like that's so crazy to think about absolutely and bill was a he was you know even in his time before he wrote the book he was he was very prominent among trophy bass fishermen in the state where trophy bass fishing was the deal you know in yeah. california i mean uh, the man has accomplishments that we could talk for an hour and not cover all of his accomplishments. I mean, just hundreds of big fish. He has a 72-pound limit on San Vicente, uh, which I hear a lot of guys arguing about the biggest bag of, you know, five-fish limit. Well, as far as I know, Bill Murphy is the guy who has the biggest five-fish limit documented. I mean, that's 72 pounds for five fish. Think about that for a minute, you know. So <laughs> the guy had been compiling knowledge, and he was a very smart guy. Uh, 
he was compiling information for I don't remember if it was four or five decades before he wrote that book. I mean, he was documenting every fishing trip, and he spent a lot of time on the water. So there's just a lot of valuable information in there. And the other side of that is I think forward-facing sonar now is is probably even teaching us some things about big bass behavior that, that maybe Bill Murphy hadn't realized yet, you know? So uh, <clears throat> it's just a, it's a, it's a very good book. I recommend it for anybody who is trying to learn to target trophy bass. I mean, it's, you know, the guys who were come into trophy bass fishing and, and big bait fishing long before me, uh, several of those guys that are very accomplished. I had the, the pleasure of, uh, becoming friends with and spending a lot of time talking with and more times than I can count I've heard that book referred to as the big bass bible I mean that's that's what those guys refer to it as you know that that book is the bible of big bass fishing yeah man and uh you know like I said probably sounds like a broken record because I have talked about it so much but it is it's it's uh I don't know, man. It's it's hard to explain. You just you just got to buy the book, or you, you just got to find it and you got to read it because it's a it's a very informational book. And and me talking about it, you know, Jason probably would be able to elaborate on it a little bit more. I just don't give it enough credit when when I try to piece together my thoughts about it because it is such like a it it makes you think, and that's just I kind of got to leave it at that because that's just all you can all you can say without reading the book because there's just so much. That's it. Absolutely. But uh, <clears throat> so we um okay so talking you get into you get into swim bait fishing and you what was the first swim bait you had gotten uh the first swim bait i had gotten was a bull shad and i think maybe a, a spro 50 rat were the first two baits that i picked up and what year was that if you remember or general it would, would have been would have been 2019 um i did pick those two baits up the problem was i was taking them out and i'd throw them you know 30 or 40 casts and and then i would wind up picking the conventional rods back up because that's where my comfort zone was yeah you know? yeah and uh i i really struggled to stay dedicated to throwing those bigger baits and at the time i probably didn't even realize you know how many casts sometimes with a big bait it takes to get that thing bit you know i mean you're you're targeting a different class of fish you know and uh and and not even knowing where to put the bait you know i was still getting down the rabbit hole of how to to target these trophy fish at that time you know so uh i did wind up you know after several months of picking it up putting it down you know i'd fish it a few you know cast here a few casts there and pick the conventional back up and catch fish uh i i was able to I, I dumped a six pound class fish right at the side of the boat and i'll be honest with you adrian i have never been more elated to dump a fish in my life because it, up till then I, I had all these guys telling me that doesn't that won't work around here that's in california and i didn't yeah. know whether to believe them or not <laughs> so just dumping that six pound fish i was as happy as i could be because yeah i dumped the fish but I know now that, that they will eat this here. You know, I've, pro I've proven that. And so that was a big confidence builder for me. I did wind up catching like a three and a half pound fish on the bull shed just probably 15 minutes after I dumped that fish. But I didn't dedicate myself to throwing big baits until 2020, January 1st of 2020. Uh, me and Ashton Milan, who's also from 
pretty close to where I live. We had met up to fish and we, we both were kind of in the big bait scene, but not really dedicated to it. And, uh, we just had a talk after a fishing trip one day and we, we both said, Hey, January one, man, we're not throwing anything but these swim baits. We're leaving the conventional stuff at home and we don't care if we don't catch a fish all year. We're going to throw these swim baits and that's, that's all we're going to throw. We're going to do this till we figure it out. Yeah. And so that's, that's how it all started for me. You know, it just took leaving everything else at home and taking the big bait and throwing it and throwing it and throwing it until you start to figure some things out. Yeah, man, that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got super lucky when I got into it. I, I dumped two per two, I dumped two super big fish, like my first couple trips out with the HUD 68. And, uh, after that, it was just like, whoa, like these fish just turned on this bait and followed it and ate it like nothing I've ever seen before. And that got me hooked. And I, <clears throat> I'm a pretty, um, what's the type of word? Like when, when I start something, I, I'm like hooked on it. Like it, it's going to take a lot to pry me away from that. And for some reason, swim bait fishing was something that I got hooked on and I just, I stuck with it and caught a lot of good fish the first couple years doing it. And uh, I was like, Whoa, like I, I never caught like super, super big fish, but I caught really respectable fish, like a bunch of fours, a couple good fives throughout the years. And I was like, this is just like, like a cheat code. Like you can't go out and catch this many good sized fish on a drop shot. Like you're going to be weeding through a bunch of rock bass and, and 13 inch smallmouth. Like this, uh, this is something else. And so was that when you guys, um, stuck with it and you caught that first fish, did it seem like stuff kind of the pieces kind of formed and, and you started to relating this bait to how you should fish it and where you should, where you should fish it and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was, you know, it's, it's hard to say because it, you know, I was going down this swim bait rabbit hole, but I was also down this rabbit hole of just reading about big fish behavior and it all started coming together kind of at one time and just, it just started, you know, things started coming together, you know, and I started putting some respectable fish on the board six and seven pounders uh i got on a pretty good run there putting six and seven pound fish in the boat but my mind i don't know if it's competitive nature or what it was just always how do i get to that next level okay i'm catching sixes and sevens how what what do i got to learn what do i got to do to get to where i can catch eights and nines as consistently as i'm catching sixes and sevens you know and it's not that i don't appreciate those fish at six pound fish even now if I go and catch a six pound fish, I feel like, okay, I accomplished something while I was out here. That's not the fish I'm looking for, but that's a nice fish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, dude, I would, I would take six or seven. Like if I would have caught one of those fish, like my first or second year doing it, dude, I'd have probably been living in a cardboard box in all honesty, because I'd have been, I'd have been like hooked, <laughs> like, like gut hooked. Like I'd have been buying everything if that was the case. Well, I went, I went through a spell where I was buying everything and I've still got, quite a bit of stuff i've sold some of it but uh you know i've learned adrian and this is just for me i'm I'm not saying what anybody else should do but i have a handful of baits that are confident baits for me and and what i've learned is a lot of those baits that that i found are confidence baits for me are baits that have been around for a really long time you know and they were confidence baits for guys out in california long before i ever got into this game you know it's the same baits you know uh yeah Yep. But I've also found some newer baits that are confidence baits of mine. Uh, the the run that I went on in 2021, which was my second full year of swim baiting, and that was the best year that I've had. I mean, 
it was almost like I couldn't lose for three or four months there. I mean, I'd just go to the lake. I'd started putting some big fish spots together. I had started to put some some other things together. The angles, the angles are super important. I can't mm-hmm. even ex- I can't even explain how important that is uh, to to getting these big fish to eat. You know, I hear a lot of guys saying, you know, I, I'm getting followers. How do I get how do I get these fish to eat? The first thing I would consider is my angle. You know, because you have to you have to present that way in a bait. Not only what they know that it's there, but that you have to put it by them the way that they want to eat it you know big fish aren't lazy i've heard that they're not i've seen how fast a big fish can move mm-hmm. they're not lazy they're efficient you know they're gonna they're gonna exert as little energy as possible to get what it is they're looking for you know so knowing that there's you start to learn ways that you can present a bait that just makes it to where they almost can't say no to it sometimes you know and yeah. that that angle, that angle is a huge part of this. And I feel like uh, maybe that's why I had never caught like super crazy big fish relative to like what what like a big fish would be considered on a swim bait is because I do fish my stuff super fast and it's not necessarily uh, what's the word here. Like like a big fish isn't necessarily going to want to chase down a super darty bait that's that's going at it Mach seven, and uh, I kind of learned that on the pier I had on the Lake Michigan pier that I used to fish. I'd always fish the fish everything taxi trout, super fast, super erratic, and I realized like whoa, if I just like slowed this thing down or fished like a rising sun or a battle shad or whatever it may be, and like kind of slow roll it, I I would I will catch these these bigger fish and. You know, I do that with a HUD and, and I catch these bigger fish and it's like, whoa, like these fish, they're, they're going to chase something down, but it's all about like, is the chasing down going to be worth the amount of calories I'm going to intake? And that's kind of how I've always associated the two. And you're, and you're right. And, you know, slow rolling a soft bait or even a big hard bait, you know, can be very, very productive. But I will say this, there are times where some of my biggest fish, my PB came I mean, I wasn't burning it, but it's a much faster retrieve than most people would probably think about fishing a glide bait coming into the game. Uh, but the key to that was was the angle that I was fishing. I knew I knew if I could get that fish's attention uh, with the bait making a lot of commotion and coming through the water and get her following it, that I was gonna I was gonna put her in a position to where she could pin that bait, and that was that's that was the key to that catch, you know? Uh, and I didn't even know for sure that fish was there. I just knew it was a big fish area and that the likelihood of a big fish being there, uh, was high for that time of year. And it, it worked out, you know, uh, if you'll watch the video, you will see that I did slow the bait down at the tail end and did a directional change with it. And that was, that was the trigger point for her. Yeah. But and- I, I did that directional change in the right place to where if she's already following it and thinking about eating it, she's she's watching its every move and then that thing darks and makes a direction change in the place where I had it at the time, it just left a lot of opportunity for her to make that decision. Yeah, and going off the the um the angle the angle thing, I, my experience with angles up until probably about last year is I would fish docks and stuff because I'd fish this marina up at home and it was more of angles as far as which angle can I cast at 
and get it deeper or deeper get it further back into the floating dock or boat lift whatever it was and now kind of fishing a river it's more of like okay if i come into the slack water right off of this current break it's gonna maybe imitate uh, a bay fish you know tumbling through whatever however you want to describe it and so those are like the two different angles that i know now and last year i remember i i took like 10 casts at this at the same bridge piling and my buddy like walks up probably like 20 feet ahead of me or 20 feet downstream and he casts up and he rips it through this current and dude he he caught a fish on his first cast like a really good smallmouth and i'm like dude like i just like i just grinded my teeth on this on this piling and i didn't catch a single <laughs> fish and i'm like what i'm like i just don't understand and then we got to talking about it and then the next day i did the same exact thing i took like 10 casts from the same spot i was standing walked down to where he was the day before first cast fish and like the fifth cast another fish and then we kind of we kind of started talking about it and and how like what what our plan of action is for the rest of the year on on what we can do to to be successful with catching these these fish in this river and kind of how really breaking down how to read the water whereas you don't really get to do that with a lake obviously but you do get to read how structures laid out and and where these fish are most likely sitting where if like the sun's right above or you know just whatever it is access to deep water is is obviously a big one that you and I both know um that gets mentioned in the book and just all sorts of stuff that kind of contributes to to making the most high percentage cast that that you're presented with absolutely and that's that's really what it's all about is just making those high percentage casts you know uh especially when i'm fishing from my kayak man i probably make far less cast than most guys at the lake who are fishing conventional far less you know but i've even had a good friend of mine who's a conventional fisherman he told me when we got back to the boat ramp one day he said man you you don't make enough cast and i said well, what do you mean he said I, man i watched you for two hours out there you you probably didn't make 40 cast in two hours but that's because i'm moving around setting up spots you know, I'm not going to sit on a spot and make a hundred cast with a big, you know, a huge swim bait, you know, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time traveling to spots, you know, and I'm, I'm making a milk run. I'm going from spot to spot and I'm circling back, hitting those spots at different times because a lot of it is figuring out the timing on the spot. You know, you can have a big fish area and there not be big fish there for most of the day, but at some point they're going to pull up there. Yeah, and if and you can was, get the timing down on those spots, then you can really start to unlock some things. Yeah, and when I was growing up and when I was fishing conventional, you know, fishing a wacky worm or drop about whatever it was, that was always my mindset was like, um, oh, if, if I cast 100 times relative to only 50 times, I bet you I'll catch double the amount of fish. And it's funny that you you brought up that story because I quickly realized like, oh, it's not about like, how, how it's not necessarily about how many casts it's about how many efficient casts like uh yeah you don't i mean it's like a car like you're not gonna you're not gonna mat it you're gonna want to save gas put your cruise control on you're not gonna want to make 600 casts with with a 10 inch bait like screw that if i make if i make a 75 to 100 casts like and i'm i'm conservative and i'm casting at these high percentage spots i'm gonna i'm gonna feel a lot better in the morning i'm not gonna feel like i, I need to have tommy johns the next day <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right and you know there are some exceptions to that i've heard mike from bullshed say you know just tie that bullshed on and you you just rip it you burn it you pause it you know and you just go down through there with a trailer motor on five and you just make as many casts as you can so there are some exceptions to that you know 
but when I'm fishing a structure spot uh, and specifically targeting big fish on a piece of structure or, like you said, near deeper water, and there's, there's some other factors, uh, it's really about how effective the casts are over how many casts. Uh, that that's just based on my experience i can't speak you know as to what works for anybody else but to me it's about if i'm rolling up to a spot that's a big bass area i know that big bass are present there at some point in the day i'm i'm looking for the factors you know like what are the what are my factors you know how is the wind blowing in here you know where where's the sun uh where are my shadows going to be I'm trying to take in all the factors that I feel are important factors for where that fish is going to be located. And I'm make, trying to make a handful of effective cast over that spot. And then I'm moving on to my next milk run spot. Yeah, exactly. And, oh, man, it's, it's weird to think, like, how these, how these big fish um, in, in that book uh, – Will Murphy talks about how these fish are always kind of in the same area, and uh, it, it's weird to to see that in a lake compared to a river. Like, I I watch these fish move in the river all the time, and it's it's kind of weird because a river does fluctuate like so much more than a lake does. Obviously, if it's like a normal bowl lake, it doesn't have like uh, irrigation or whatever or not. But it's still like kind of true. Like there can there'll be guys out here in the wintertime that are catching fish on a net rig in the same hole that I'd rip a glide bait through. They're just kind of uh, a little bit different, and it's I I need to set up like a like a couple spots that I fish every single time I go out, and I just got a paddleboard this year to actually fish the river, and I think that's going to help a lot because whereas like a lake anybody can access anywhere river you kind of obviously you kind of have to have a watercraft or you have to really be okay with walking downstream and then turning around and fighting the current and walking back or, or whatever it may be and i don't know i'm just i'm just excited for for this uh season with with all the stuff i've learned with kind of the knowledge of of river fish and and certain baits and how how fish should react to them and stuff i i think it'll be a I think 2023 will be a super good year. And I mean, just like, look at all the PBs that have been broke already. We're, we're three, almost four months into the year. And there's already probably been, you know, 20 PBs posted at least on Sunbay universe. Like that's, that's saying something. Whereas like last year's fishing kind of seemed like dull for a lot of people. Like it wasn't off the chain anywhere. It was just kind of fish were biting, but this year it just seems like it's, it's, it's a wild one absolutely i agree and i'm looking forward to this year i'm looking forward to seeing some footage of you on that paddleboard are you going to be filming when you go out like, yeah I, I probably will probably not like as much as like marshall does but i'll probably i'll probably have a gopro gopro yeah gopro pull like like he has and uh and i'll probably run it a majority of the time i i've kind of got some areas that i have pinned that i really want to fish some log jams and stuff um it just kind of depends on uh, I guess guess how the river sets up, like if the water's super high or whatever. But it'll it'll probably be running twenty four seven when I'm out there, and hopefully hopefully I get some cool stuff. I mean, yeah, blind blind squirrel finds another every once in a while, so I'm sure I'll get something cool maybe once or twice. I'm sure you will. I'm looking I'm looking forward to seeing what you what you put in this year and what you what you get back out of it, man. It's uh it's exciting. You know, I, I like watching other guys fish, and you know, I've I've learned. You know, I I cut my teeth by 
I just went straight to the source. I found the guys that were catching the big fish, and I really just started diving into them, made friends with some of them, had conversations. You know, I've still got guys that I look up to that are mentors of mine that I can call right now and just pick their brain about a situation if I need to. Um, right, yeah. But I've learned that I can learn from a guy who's been in this game far less than me because you start to get tunnel vision sometimes. And the new guy coming in, he may be thinking way outside the box, you know. So I try to take some a little bit of something from everybody, you know. And I think that's that's how you become a better fisherman, that and time on the water. Yeah, I feel like it it kind of goes goes with like just life in general. When you close yourself off to to hearing new stuff, whether it's quote unquote good or whatever uh, other, like when when you close yourself off, that's when like the improvement stops because you can you can scream at a wall all you want and you're just gonna hear yourself and you're gonna think you're right. But if you have somebody who who's not you, um, maybe talking about their experiences or a scenario they were in, you can be like, oh, like I, I've had that before, but I didn't even think about how you just described it or or whatever it is. I feel like having a community like, like Swimbait Universe, Swimbait Underground, uh, Instagram, just as in, in a general or Facebook in general, like, like it's, it's like an unlimited library of, of scenarios countless other guys have gone through and kind of how they prevailed through it or, or caught, you know, X, Y, Z fish out of it or just whatever it is, how they were working a bait on a certain day with the conditions. And you just gotta, you just gotta like, stick with it and, and kind of dig a little bit. And I'm sure you're going to find something that, that benefits you, whether it's, it's fishing or uh, how to catch fish or just whatever it is in general. I, I agree completely. You know, uh, once you have a substantial amount of knowledge from, from other guys who have put that out through interviews or books or whatever, and you, you feel like you've really got a good grasp on this, it's, it, it would be real easy to shut yourself off to anybody who may have less experience in that, uh learning you know than what you've gained but i'll give you an example i've got a guy here a good friend of mine that i've he's been throwing big swim baits uh usually not as big as what i'm throwing he's he's easing into it he's getting his feet in the water and we went out a couple weeks ago and i fished over this point with a uh matt's mag gill and felt like i covered the key the key spots on that point and I yeah. moved on, and he comes in 20 minutes behind me and sticks a seven-pounder with, with, oh. the, with the smaller version. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, okay. So I, I'm stoked for him, dude. That's what I want. I want to see him catch big fish. You know, he's putting in the time, and he's, he's, he's trying to pick up these baits and build confidence. But it begs the question, uh, what, what is it that he did there that I missed, you know? Or did that fish just move up after I came through? You know, there's there's yeah. a lot of variables there, you know, but that's what I'm saying. You can take some little something from from almost anybody if you really just listen to them. Yeah, and that's kind of um I, I've I've mentioned it before. That's kinda like what the show was based on. Like there there's an episode of seventy five, seventy four episodes of of other guys who who aren't you the listener talking about how they're catching fish, uh what their favorite baits are, how they like to fish these baits. And that could be like just as simple as something like, oh, this guy, I have this bait in my tackle box that I bought and I haven't fished in two years because I don't like how it swims. And and I hear this guy talking about the reel he fishes it on and, and how his reel input or rod input, whatever it is. And you go out and you're like, oh, like I was fishing this bait all wrong. Or they talk about how they're fishing a river or just whatever it is. And it's like, 
This is there's 75 episodes with probably over 200 hours of information that you could probably learn like one or two things on from guys who were like not even in your region or maybe maybe even in the country. Like I had I had a guy from Germany on. I bet you if somebody who is getting into DRT baits feels into his stuff and he talks about fishing the Clash Nine, like you're probably gonna learn something that that you had no idea even that you could do with with a DRT bait. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that for me is the thing, you know, I do consider myself a trophy bass fisherman. There are guys that are a lot more accomplished than I am at it. Uh, to me, trophy bass fisherman is a, is a state of mind. It's a mentality. Uh, but man, never, never think that I'm, that I'm that over a student of the game. That's what I truly am as a student of the game. I, the day I quit learning about this, I'll probably get bored with it and go find something else to do. Right. Yeah, man, exactly. And that's, uh, I feel like guys who kind of fall out of, of swim bait fishing, like, I mean, especially pers- like talking personally here, I just got content with what I was doing. Like I wasn't learning anything and I, I kind of had these fish pinned for being super, um, not necessarily relatable, but like on repeat, like I was just going out there and I was catching fish and it wasn't fun because I wasn't challenging myself anymore. And then, you know, I, I honestly think moving, helped me a lot to get back into fishing and, and swim bait fishing more, more so just because like it was something completely new and I had to learn what the hell these fish were doing. And I had to figure out how to read the water and just, just kind of like get my bearing straight. And then I could finally start progressing, moving forward with, with the fishing in general. Absolutely. But, uh, mm-hmm. so we, we've talked about how you are, um, like how you you're just a sponge of knowledge of of big fish knowledge how they act where where they like to sit how they um just their tendencies and stuff so i mean we we can even talk about your pb because i know you have that cast to catch up on on uh, youtube and so like what was that scenario how did that day set up and and what were what was going through your head like that whole day a couple casts before on that cast like what what was going through your mind on on why you should be here and fishing whatever bait you were fishing uh you really can't tell from the video because it's all going on underwater but uh if you watch the video you can you can see that i kind of push up on there's some there's some palm lilies there and they're in super shallow water uh i kind of push my kayak up on some uh palm lilies they weren't really breaking the surface you can see if you really look you can see a few of them starting to break the surface but they were really thick right under the surface and so i set my kayak right up on top of those to kind of help stabilize myself and there's a there's a creek that's running in front of me and it runs from my left to my right and then directly across from me is a feeder creek that feeds into it and there's an area right over from the side of those two creeks where they meet that i had we had been noticing that there was some bluegill congregating there and this was in april so i actually moved in there and and I always try to make a cast. If I'm if I'm in an area where I feel confident there's going to be big fish, uh, you don't get to see many followers in the part of the country that I'm from because our water is usually pretty dirty. But uh, yeah. I always try to imagine there is a follower. So I'm fishing that bait in a way. I'm fishing that just like I'm watching a follower when I'm bringing it back in, you know. And I'm I'm doing things at certain points to try to trigger that bite. And that's exactly the way it set up that day. I just I, I moved into the spot. I made one cast right down the edge of that ditch that you can't really 
you can kind of see it off to my right. You can see it kind of carves its way through some more lilies and stuff down to my right. But uh, I made one cast right down the edge of that the the bank of that ditch underwater and brought that glide bait back through right in between the ditch and where those bluegill had been sitting up in the shallows. And I thought maybe a fish would come out of the deep and and ambush it because she ready to you know to prey on those bluegill. That cast did not produce a bite, so I turned and cast directly across the intersection of those two ditches. And I just brought it back, moving quite a bit of water with it. You know, half reel turns, but pretty fast. You know, I was moving the glide bait pretty fast. And I knew that that, when it come back across that deepest part of that ditch, it was going to run into that wall of palm lilies that was sitting underneath me. And so when I got to that spot, I did a directional change, and if you watch the video, you can see me slow the bait down right at the last minute and then hit it one good hard turn to get that bait to turn and shoot out to the side, and she just headshotted it. You know, I mean, it was – that fish, I feel like, followed that bait from the intersection of that ditch. She was behind it. She was checking it out, and when it put itself in a position where she could pin it and did that directional change, it, it was just too much for her to say no to, and she took it. Yeah, man, is, um, so you kind of talked about how your water isn't necessarily the cleanest is, do you think, oh, okay. Before, before we get too far ahead, what, what would that, what did that day set up? Like, what was the, uh, like overcast or kind of what made you think that these fish would be back here as far as like what you were seeing in the air, what the cloud cover and stuff was like, or pressure even, I don't know if you're. I, you're kind of into the moon phases and stuff, I think. So what was that stuff like? Did that kind of go into account of what you were doing? Uh, it was actually on a new moon, the day of a new moon in April. So, yes, the moon phase was a factor in my thinking uh, as far as being excited about being on the water that day. I'd already been on the water for a few hours at that time and hadn't had a bite yet. So uh, it wasn't just one of those days where you just go out and you start catching fish right off the bat, you know. Um. The thing, the thing that made me think that spot was going to hold big fish right then is because it was April. It was still pre-spawn for us that year, and you know, the, this was April the eleventh. Uh, and those bluegill that we'd been noticing the trip before that and earlier in that trip, those bluegill stacked up there was just a huge factor for me. I thought, man, right here in the springtime, bluegill stacked up shallow like that, right on the edge of deeper water. You know, that was. It was just, you've you got to take a shot at it, you know. And, uh, those, of course, those ditches coming through there, that intersection of those ditches, those, those ditches, those are, those are travel paths. You know, yeah. that's how yeah. bass, that's how they travel. They're using those ditches. They're using tree lines. They're using stump rows, migration routes, you know. And spring is, is really a time of year for me. Uh, when I know that there's probably bass moving into the shallows, even if they're not spawning yet, you know, you'll start to see fish pull up. They'll go in there and feed. They'll pull, they'll pull back a little bit, you know, and that was, that actually wasn't the first spot that I hit that day. I had a couple of other spots that I really thought gave me better odds and wound up not getting bit on any of those spots that day. You know, that one just happened to work out. Uh, but I think the key to it was just fishing that bait uh and yeah. into a position where she was going to ambush it if she was there yeah and that kind of leads me into the question that i originally wanted to ask but i didn't want to jump ahead because i wanted to get your full answer on that last one 
Now you had talked about how your guys's water isn't necessarily the the most clear visibility. Do you think that your like that? How am I gonna say this? Do you think that scenario would have played out differently if you guys would have had a couple feet of visibility or or crystal clear water? Like, do you think that she may have followed out of the um of the intersection and kind of veered away? Maybe I, this is like a total complete game of ifs. Like, have you noticed a difference in the clear water down there to like what you caught her in? Like, do the fish seem to? be weary of boats or or maybe just even the big baits in general like some fish in clear water do not like seeing you know even like a seven inch bait swim past them it just freaks them out and they swim away have have you been able to kind of pick up on that or is all the water down by you kind of all pretty uniform and and kind of that that chocolate milk rip your color um it's it's pretty uniform we don't have any crystal clear waters here where i live not in west tennessee once you get out east i think they've got some clearer water out there uh i mean sometimes our water's literally six inches of visibility and sometimes it's you know three four five feet of visibility you know but it's it's always stained at best you know yeah uh, and i just don't have a lot of experience <laughs> fishing in clear water i did fish a lake with ashton last year uh, me, Ashton, and Bo actually all went there, and that water was, it wasn't crystal clear, but it was way more clear than what I'm used to, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't have much confidence at all on that lake, because I, yeah. I just don't have the experience in fishing clear water, you know, where a guy from California comes out here, and he's been fishing in waters where you can see 30 feet deep, you know, <laughs> he yeah. comes here, he probably have the same lack of confidence in our muddy water, you know. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I was going to say, is... um. I'm I'm the complete opposite of you, dude. Forty feet of visibility, I've got no problem fishing a glide bait. Whereas, like, I cannot physically wrap my head around fishing six inches of visibility. Like, just fishing in general, as long, if it doesn't have a knocker or some sort of flash, if it's just a normal, you know, KGB crappie or just or just whatever it may be, S waiver or something. Like, I'm just like so mind blown that you guys can catch fish and and catch good fish. Uh, blind casting down there in that style of water because i'm like it just does not make any sense on how these fish like pick up the bait or, or just whatever and i probably i probably be able to wrap my mind around it now a little bit better than i used to because um I, i've got some knowledge of, of where fish set up and how they set up and and where structure and that sort of thing so maybe it's not as far-fetched as it used to be like a year ago but like i i still wouldn't be able to go down anywhere down south and and confidently go out and try to catch 20 pounds because i just i it's so in the dark for me i wouldn't even know where to start or how to start even yeah see it's just the opposite for me my confidence level went way down when the water got super clear like we could see 15 20 feet out you know i could see my bait like if i could sunk my bait five or six feet down i could see it 15 20 25 feet out away from me and i was like man that's super clear i feel like those fish can see me coming you know? so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but i think that would be the biggest factor i don't think it would give me a lack of confidence in my presentation it would be more like hey are those fish seeing me before i see them you know yeah and that's um that's the other thing is i i enjoy seeing my fish before they eat and kind of uh fishing clear water obviously you get uh you get pretty decent at being able to read a fish's uh body language i guess is what we'll say like if their gear if their gills are super flared out and and those peck fins are going in circles like they're a boat boat rotor and stuff like 
like I know that that fish is going to eat and I know that if it's not, if it's kind of lagging back a little bit and I can kind of gauge, gauge the interest level, I know I have stuff to do to kind of perk it up or kill the bait or whatever it is. And like, that's like just fishing blind is just so mind blowing to me, like going out there and, and inputting random real chops in, uh, in my mind getting getting lucky on on getting a fish to follow and getting that fish aggressive enough to eat it without being able to see it because like i don't know man sight fishing is just like what i grew up doing and that's like what i have the utmost confidence and if i can see a fish uh like in 20 foot of visibility you know 15 feet away 15 yards away i'd i'd be damned if if i wasn't able to at least get it to pull off bottom and show interest in a bait well, see here, you know, we, I hear guys talking about followers here. I hardly ever see followers unless they just follow it all the way to the kayak. I'll see them when they turn away from it, right at the kayak yeah, or the boat, yeah. you know. <laughs> but I'm a firm believer, Adrian, uh, and I and I could be totally wrong about this, but I really think just based on my experiences, this doesn't come from a book. I really honestly believe those big bass, they don't have to track a bait by visibility. They know that bait's there. I mean, they live in that water 24-7. Yeah. They know every natural and unnatural thing that comes through that water, you know. And I think that they're, whether they're using those lateral lines or what, those fish just have a a very deep ability to pick up on things in their area, you know. And, uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many fish I've caught on a big glide bait in water where you couldn't see six inches, you know, and I hear guys saying, don't fish a glide bait. And I wouldn't slow fish a glide bait and not move water with it. But if I can move some yeah. water with it, you know, I can get a fish's attention. I feel like, you know? Yeah. And I, um, I've, I've had this quote in the back of my head. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a podcast connoisseur. I listen to a lot of podcasts and, and one of my buddies podcasts is kind of, um, like a military style podcast where he has people on and, and they talk about their experiences and stuff. And, they go in depth on working with uh, locals in Afghanistan when when everybody was over there fighting. And he's talking about how, like, um, everybody's like, oh, I can't believe you trust these guys. And he's like, listen, dude, like, if if you if I was to dig a hole in your driveway and you drove drove past it, you'd notice. And he's like, and that he's like, I wouldn't notice. And he's like, and I feel like that kind of he's talking about something obviously completely different, but I feel like a bass knows what's up. Like you said, they're there 24 seven, you know, 25, eight, they're there their whole lives, whether that be three years up to 16 years, like those fish know what's going on in that water. And if they, um, you know, if, if that lateral line catches something they're like, Oh, that's a shad swimming away, you know, 10 feet away off this brush pile, I'm going to go out and eat it. And that shad just so happens to be your KGB legend or something like it's just, I don't know, man. They they know obviously, but it's it's so wild to to wrap my head around like how um how oh, like how big brain they are, I guess, as far as like knowing what's up and and where this stuff is and and how to track it down and stuff. That's just so crazy to think. Well, and you got to think too that those bass don't have anything else to do except feed, reproduce, and rest. That's it. Yeah. They don't have any form of entertainment to occupy their mind or clutter up their thoughts. Like that's their sole purpose is just to eat, reproduce and rest. That's the three things they do, you know, and so they're super dialed in on those three things. You know, so uh, it's just like the fish that I caught last week, uh, went out and went in the kayak, the new kayak and, and broke it in. I caught a six two. I didn't see that fish at all. I mean, I'm, I'm doing a glide bait. There's no way I could have seen that fish. 
I couldn't see six inches into that water looking straight down into it. I mean, it was chocolate milk. It's been raining nonstop here. And she found that bait and ate it, you know, and she didn't just nick it. She ate it. So I've got complete confidence that those fish, they can, they can sense those things. They can pick up on it. And if you always fish the bait like you've got a follower and you, here's the thing. If you know your waters, you know where that structure changes. You know where there's a little piece of cover on that structure. If you do the right things around those key spots, uh, it's, it starts to, starts to teach you some things, you know, and that's, that's basically what I'm doing. I'm not fishing two fish. I'm fishing two spots that I feel like will hold big fish. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, going off the eat, rest and reproduce thing. Um, I, I think it was Oliver Nye that said this, like, and, and I, like, He's, I heard him say it or somebody else quote it, and I've said it a couple times, I know, on the show. Like, people people are always surprised of, oh, this 14-inch bass ate my DRT ghost. And it's hard to wrap your head around until you realize that these fish can't take selfies of themselves. They can't look in the mirror when they're putting their makeup on. Like, they've got no idea how big they are. They have no idea, no idea how big their mouth is. They just know that that ticks their their you know predatory instinct, and they want to eat that thing. And that's another thing. Like obviously, I'm anything but a fish biologist, but that's just like so crazy for me to think of. Like that's like not being able to look at yourself for for 20 years, and whatever you see that looks appetizing to you, like at a buffet, you're just gonna eat and eat and eat. And it's just it's wild to think about. Like fish, especially bass in general, are some very crazy things that. Up up until like this last this last year, like in general, like twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, I I just thought they were a fish, and obviously they are just a fish, but they are, you know, a hunting uh, a hunting madman. Like they they know the water, they know that if that thing looks good, I'm gonna eat it, and it's they're just they're a wild creature, especially when you start learning about them, and and you realize like oh like. These things are doing stuff that I didn't even have an idea that they could do or could fathom that that something that wasn't like technologically advanced like us does. Like it's just it's so weird to think about and, and read about, especially. And, and here's another thought to to kind of build on that is they're looking for something to eat. And if they think they can fit that in their mouth, they will. But here, here's another thing that you can you can think about, chew on a little bit. How many of those fish weren't actually eating that bait because they were hungry, but they were eating that bait because they're territorial and you brought something through their area where nothing else is allowed to go without getting eaten, you know? Yeah. Yep. So, and that's something that I try to think about, uh, especially in certain spots on my lake. I really feel like if you can come through there stirring up water, you've got a better shot at, at catching those fish has been my experience. And I, and I almost wonder if it's not because they're territorial, you know, uh, they're not necessarily eating that bait because, Hey, that's a shad. And I, I want a shad in my belly. They're eating that bait because what are you doing? Stirring up my water. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. This is where I, this, this is my spot, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. And, um, going off of that, even, even like into, to a fishing aspect of things, I, if I'm fishing a soft bait, I wanted to have an underspin on it, not just because it throws light or whatever, but I, I got really big into dragging them like a soft bait, putting like a nail weight in the in the face and kind of hopping it along bottom. And I feel like that that uh, 
that blade just kind of smacks that smacks the dust or sand, whatever it was, and just kind of causes a little bit of a plume cloud is with the face dragging and, and with that shank or not shank of the hook, but with the, uh, the base of the hook dragging through. And it's just like something a little bit more to, to cause a commotion and, and make those fish come check it out. And obviously it, I wasn't even, I had never even thought about like what you said of fish being like territorial. Like obviously we see it during bedding season, but you know, why wouldn't they be territorial as far as like, this is my, this is my log jam. Why the hell are you over here? Like, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to spit you out, you know, uh, on the next bend type thing. And it makes a lot of sense. And like, the more you, the more you add on to these ideas, it's like, they kind of elaborate on each other and you're like, oh, well that would make sense because I remember this one time, you know, X, Y, Z, like, like there's times when, when you're drop shot fishing or even just uh dragging like a jig on Lake Michigan, like with big chunk rock, you, you can fish, you can fish a, we'll say like a 50 yard stretch. How many times or like when you're flipping and if you flip into one little crevice of a rock piling, or you flip it in between just a certain two reeds, that fish is sitting there and it's like, what the hell is right here? And it, it, it might not be eating because it's hungry. It just might be eating. Like, why the hell is this thing right in front of my face? Like this thing needs to get out of the way. And, uh, it's just like, dude, there's just so many ways to, to peel a banana. Like that's, just, I guess that's what it, what it comes down to. There's just so much stuff to think about on why these fish are doing what they're doing. And then when you hear a new idea, you kind of use that as a stepping stone, like, oh, okay, so this kind of goes with that, but maybe, maybe this new idea makes a little bit more sense from what I've been able to tell. And it's just, it's, it, that is literally a never ending rabbit hole right there of like learning new techniques and, and reasons on why stuff works, I guess. Absolutely. I often say, Adrian, that, you know, I, I believe a lot of things about big bass. Some of it I've learned from reading and interviews. Some of it I've learned from time on the water, but most of what we believe are those facts or are those just theories, you know, based on, because what, what do we really know about big bass fishing? I mean, we may know how to trigger those fish, but I think a lot of times we have these preconceived notions of why this fish did that or why that fish those fish don't think the way we think. They've got their own world they're living in, and I think it's great to always just be open-minded to trying new things, you know, trying to think about things in a different way that might open up something for you mentally, you know. That's, uh, and that's why I say I'm a student of the game because, man, I, I love to study anybody, anything that has to do with big fish because you can always take something else from it, whether it's, more facts, more theories, some kind of approach, some kind of, you know, how, how am I doing this? How am I doing that? You know, there's just so much. You could go to you could go to college for four years for bass fishing and not even have one one hundredth of what it takes to to catch big fish. You you just can't perfect it. You're always going to be learning. You know. Yeah, man. And I, just, I think that I think that's just part of the draw for me is I've always been somebody who wants to continually be learning and and moving, you know. Yeah, and I I feel like um there's there's like a study that talks about <clears throat> um like generational stuff moves down with generations as far as like uh trauma and experiences and and kind of that sort of thing. And like who's to say like that stuff doesn't happen with a bass? Like if I don't know, dude, like there's just such an endless amount of ideas and possibilities that they go with these fish and like how, how close they could, could be related to like how we perceive stuff as well. It's a, uh, it's just a deep rabbit hole. I feel like. 
it's definitely a deep rabbit hole. It's definitely a deep rabbit hole. But it, but that for somebody like me, and I can't speak for anybody else, for somebody like me, that's part of the draw. If it was something that I could just go take this course and I would know everything about it at the end of six months or a year or whatever, at the end of that year or six months, I'm probably I'm probably bored after yeah. that. You know, I'm just not learning anything else. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't be a journeyman in the bass fishing world. That's just not not a possibility, especially like with um, with like the advances of technology and stuff. And and you see um, Matt Strykel posted a video today, and he's fishing thirty feet of water, and he sees this little blip at like four feet, and he fishes an A rig past it, and then he fishes a glide bait past it. And he has to just like kind of keep dicking around with this fish and it finally eats. And he's like, if I didn't have forward facing sonar, he's like, nobody probably has ever casted this fish before. If this is what it's done its whole life. Like, it's just, it's, uh, it's such a weird thing how it was set up and then just the whole scenario. And it's like, whoa, like forward facing sonar has definitely, uh, brought uh, a new aspect of fishing. Like now fish can't necessarily hide, but they can definitely not eat. And it's, uh, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's obviously, um, technology is always going to advance and it's going to change the way people fish and stuff. But I just feel like I'd get aggravated if I had had forward facing sonar. Like if I'm seeing this fish and I can't get this thing to eat, like screw this. Like I just spent four grand on this technology and it's not going to help me boat any more fish if, if I'm not able to get them to bite. And I, I can see the ad, like the draw in it and stuff, but it's also like, damn dude, like I'm, I'm, I don't know. Like I'll, I'll just buy a, an underwater ice fishing camera. If I want to watch fish, I'm not going to be able to get them to bite, I guess. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure where I stand on the forward facing sonar for personal use. I don't, if somebody's using that and it's a tool that, that is effective for them and they, they catch more fish. I'm all about that because it's trophy hunting regardless. You know, I've been yeah, on the boat yeah. with guys who used it all day and never caught a fish. I've been on a guy on the boat with guys who, who wrecked some big fish using it. You know, it's a, uh, I've always been such a purist since I got into the, the big swim bait game. And since I got into just the trophy hunting aspect of it, like I haven't even used electronics hardly at all until this year. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I was blind fishing. Like I would use my electronics in this sense. I would sit at home at night and pull up the contour map and study contours and mark waypoints yeah. of areas where I think big fish should be. And that's how I would build my milk runs, you know, like I would, I would pick five, six, seven, eight spots, depending on the time of year and the situation where I felt there was a high percentage for big bass to be in that area. And then I would fish those spots. Once I made it through all of them, I'd go around and hit them all again. And I would just spend the entire day doing that because here's another thing that I think a lot of guys don't think about is if you fish that spot at nine o'clock in the morning, well, if you go back and fish that spot at noon or one o'clock, that's a completely different spot now. Because uh, let's say you're in ten feet of water and there's a there's a old tree stump sticking up four feet there, six let's say six feet. So that treetop is four feet below the surface, and that that's casting a shadow. You can't yeah. see it because you're above it, but it's casting a shadow that the fish can see and utilize. Mm-hmm. And so. If you fished it at nine o'clock this morning and that shadow's over, you know, casting over that way, well, that's one thing. But now at, let's say at one o'clock, you figure out where the angle of that sun is and figure out where it should be casting that shadow. Then now it's casting it right over towards that hard edge that you're, that you're trying to fish. You know, now that's a different spot for a big bass. 
Now she yeah. can utilize that spot for something. She couldn't utilize it four three hours ago. Dude, and you start, to put, you start to put together some things about the timing of a spot. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, fish in clear water, obviously, shadows are something that uh, you kind of learn to, to use or to stay away from. And this this is a perfect example just to kind of uh, – if I actually recorded a single episode about this like a long time ago. I think it was like episode 7 or 13 or something about like my swim bait thoughts. But anyway – we're we're in the present now um so you're you're out doing lawn work and and you see you see a huge shadow fly over you what what do you usually do you usually look up at it see if it's a bird or a plane or a hawk or, or whatever it is right i assume yep yeah it, dude like i was i uh we were fishing like 12 foot of water and i was fishing a punker and i remember seeing fish cruising around and i remember one just kind of sitting there or whatever it was doing i don't remember what time of year it was and i remember casting at this thing and I remember ripping this bait across, and I remember this thing like following the shadow on the twelve on the bottom of the uh, lake floor, and it kind of like starts to teeter up, and it tune it like hones in on this bait, and it just shoots up there, and it misses the bait. But it's like whoa, like drawing power is a lot more than than what you what you perceive it to be. Like just commotion on the on the surface of the water maybe won't mess necessarily affect a fish ten foot on the bottom, but if it can see that shadow. And it's yeah. like that curiosity sparks and it needs to like check it yeah. out. Like that, that's something that I feel like not a lot of guys think about at all because it's a, uh, it's a very uh, weird thing to think about, I guess, like to, to pull their interest like that in, into a fish. You know, I heard Bill Seaman tell say that he had literally seen fish in pretty deep water. I don't remember how deep it was, but he said he's literally seen those fish in clear water fishing a buzz bait over the top of them. He's seen them swim out and go down and try to eat the shadow before they realized that the buzz bait was up on top of the water. Yeah, dude. So, it, it's crazy. So, so those are all things. And if you really want to get into shadow theories, uh, Bill Simontel is a great guy to listen to for that. He's He has got some really deep theories on shadows and how to use those to your advantage. And he's kind of the one that opened my mind to think about shadows that we don't see above the water because there's something under the water casting that shadow, you know. And so it's real easy to go out and fish shadows that are being placed on the water, on the surface of the water by a tree line or by by something that we can visually see. But if you start to think about the angle of that sun and, and you know there's a stick up over there, well, that's casting a shadow, too, that you can't see. You know, mm-hmm. you might be able to see it in your clear water. I can't see it in mine. Even yeah. in dirty water, it's going to cast a shadow. That light's still penetrating that dirty water, at least to a certain depth, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's, it's, crazy. it's just a ton of things that you can get into, man. And you can go that so far down the rabbit hole with a lot of this stuff that you just drive yourself crazy, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. Um, Kind of getting getting back to the fishing thing and, and kind of closing it up here. What are you kind of touched on, on soft baits and especially glide baits. What are kind of your, what general, general question here first. Come on now. What is your favorite style of baits? Like if you could go out and say, these fish are going to eat this damn bait right here. What, what style of bait are you going to fish or what style of bait are you going to choose to fish? Most, most, most likely a glide bait. That's uh that's the bait. If I can get them eating a glide bait, it's hard to get me to pick up anything else. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, okay, now going back down into the question, 
what uh h- how would you be fishing it probably super erratic from from by the sounds of it like a jerk bait probably uh through the months where the glide bait really excels for me here uh i'm gonna be fishing it faster than most guys coming in would think you would be fishing a glide bait but it's not gonna be like a straight retrieve just half real turns fast like i'm I, even with a glide bait that glides wide i like to change it up get erratic with it i'll mm-hmm. i mean it, i just try to make it do a lot of darty jumping around things but then i may throw a pause in there or i may throw two or three normal half turns in there you know just spaced out a second or two you know i'm switching it up yeah but the key to it for me is to do those erratic things and then do the other things at the right time you know where those fish want to eat after you've been fishing a spot for a while if you can if you can do those triggering things in the right spot of that retrieve that's what has proven to be very effective for me yeah and i feel like um it, it might get taken out of context because i say it so often in the show of, of fishing jerk bait or uh, fishing a glide bait like a jerk bait and yes i mean super fast and erratic but like like jason said dude my brain doesn't know what to tell my hand i am i'm real like quarter chopping it eighth chopping it half turns three full turns i'm counting to five i'm giving it you know six hard turns like it's it's so crazy i don't even know what i'm doing and it, uh yeah yeah it's not necessarily even a rhythm it's no, not not no. one rhythm you know it's it's ever changing you know and and some days that works and some days just a slow wide glide gets it you know i, I will i will say this because i said it with connor norgrove and that was a long time ago so when i used to fish um when i used to fish braid on my reels you know like if you're flipping with braid or anything or, or just whatever you, you do, you know how it kind of has that, uh, it kind of has that tune to it. Like when you reel, it's got that like, it's kind of got that, like not necessarily a squeal, but you can hear it like getting pulled onto the oh, reel. Yeah. Yep. So when I, when I fish glide baits with braid, I, I usually, I, I pick a song and I make, I, I try to replicate that beat with the song. So it'll be like, dun, 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 dun. like staying alive dude like whatever song like i listened to on the way to the lake that day i'll cast out and i will i will do it to the tune of that song like i i I try to replicate that beat with the with the noise of the braid and caught a lot of fish doing it whether they like my taste in music or not is up for discussion but it, it works and and that way if if i'm fishing um staying alive for an hour to that beat and and i catch five fish on it i'm like oh okay so you know, uh, between one of these, one of these sections of the song, they like that cadence and you can kind of replicate it. And I've also done that in the river, but in the river, I'll, I'll do rod inputs with a jerk bait. So like in the fall, that's what I was doing is I would go out with a jerk bait and I'd catch like three fish, figure out the rhythm. And then I would just bomb a glide bait out there and I would repeat that. And, and it's going to sound super silly when guys hear it, but the song thing is like, what, what I do in my head to kind of uh, memorize what I'm doing so I don't catch a fish and, and I have it completely twisted in my head what my cadence was or whatever it may be. And, and now I just realized not only do you have a podcast and a magazine, but now we need an official Scales and Tales playlist that guys can listen to when they're fishing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, put something together. We'll, we'll get something rolling here. <laughs> I, I do I do like to fish a soft bait. I've got a lot of confidence in a couple of soft baits, man. And I really I agree with Mike Gilbert that a lot of times that's probably your best chance at a true giant. The the drawback to that for me is not using electronics up until this year and not really knowing those. I like to fish a soft bait in a little bit deeper water. Uh, 
for the, for the applications where I can't really get a glide bait to, and I've caught some good fish doing that. Uh, I love the battle shed. Absolutely love the, the seven and a half inch battle shed has got me some big bites. The nine inch battle shed is a phenomenal bait. I throw the citizens some and I've caught some decent fish on those. But for as far as confidence goes, if those fish are in 10 feet of water or less, or I can get a glide bait down deeper, sometimes I'll modify a glide bait, add a little weight to it and get it down a little deeper. But my confidence is usually in 10 feet of water or less with a glide bait. But I do feel like especially on my home lake certain months of the year, those huge giant bass, there's probably a greater number of them in that deeper water than there is in, in shallower water. And that's why I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to dive into the world of electronics a little bit this year and just kind of see how that does with, you know, some side scan and down scan and then uh, learn a little bit more about those, some of those deeper spots. And I, I'm still open-minded about forward-facing sonar. You know, I, I haven't decided that I'm going that route, but I'm I'm definitely open-minded to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. I, I've never fished out of a boat enough to to do one way or another. But, like, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> you move up to Michigan for, for two years, and the first winter you fished with a fish finder, and that second winter you, you sold your fish finder because you wanted to buy a swim bait. Dude, you will feel like the biggest caveman ever. You'll be sitting there. You'll be jigging your little 164-ounce tungsten jig, and you're like, I've got no idea what's going on down there. How did I ever catch fish like that before? And that's why, like, I'm glad I don't have a bass boat because if I fished with uh, some friends enough that have FFW or FFS and, like, I got, like, accommodated to it, I'd be scared that I'd get addicted to, to needing it. And maybe not because it's bass fishing and you can obviously catch fish and kind of relate them to the weather and stuff. But if it, if it was like the same situation as like ice fishing, dude, guys would be so SLL fishing with their friends. Like they'd go back and they'd run the credit card for four grand to buy the setup for like, it's so wild. Yeah. See, that's where I'm at. I've been on the boat with guys who use forward facing sonar. Um, I, I'm not close minded to the idea of, of having it at some point, but I don't ever want to be reliant upon it you know, any kind of electronics, you know, and that, that's why I'm glad that I learned uh, to, to do some of this blind uh, just based on where I know the contours are, where the cover is on the structure and, and just learn some basic big bass knowledge because I don't ever want to be dead in the water just because my battery went dead. You know, yeah. I want to, I feel like any electronics used for me and I'm not knocking what anybody else is doing for me, it's just another tool, you know, and it's a tool that, you use in some situations, then you don't use in some situations. Mm-hmm. Or you just use it to give you a better understanding of the situations you're already fishing, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, kind of going back to the question, if you could pick any glide bait to to catch fish on, whether whether it's one that chops super, just whatever it is, what what's kind of your go-to glide bait if you had to choose one, one that you, you like to fish most of the time if you could? Man, I've got a, I'm a, I'm kind of a glide junkie and I've got a lot of glides and I've got a lot of glides I like, but just based on experience, man, hands down, the KGB legend has been my most productive glide bait. The legend is the biggest one or the middle yeah. one? It's, it's the nine inch. It's the middle, middle, the, the small, the seven inch is the Chad shed. I have one. I fish it some, probably fish it less than the, the, the nine inch legend. And I also throw the 11 inch King some. Okay. Yeah. Man, I know, I know. Uh, Lawrence just lost his king the other day, so 
RIP to Lawrence's king uh, shed. He caught a lot of fish on that. And and if it's the one I think it is, Marshall, he got it from Marshall. They treated and Marshall caught a lot of fish on that thing. So that's a that's a bait that will be missed. Maybe maybe he'll be able to get it back. But if not, RIP to the RIP to that king shed, man. <laughs> Uh, Lawrence is going to find more Kings. I can promise you that Lawrence is a very dedicated guy. I got a lot of respect for him. He's going to do whatever it takes to get the tool he needs to catch the fish that he's trying to catch. Yeah. He made a post today and he was, uh, trying to come off an eight inch HPH and a bunch of other baits. I don't know if I just kind of scrolled past it as soon as he posted it. And obviously I have, I have no fuel to that fire to, to try to trade him. So I just, I kind of gave him the spiritual good luck and kept scrolling. Yeah, Lawrence is gonna find what he's looking for. It may take him a while, but Lawrence is a very dedicated guy. I've got a lot of a lot of respect for him. And man, that if you want to talk about a guy that really puts in the time, that that guy puts in the time. Yeah, man, and uh, it's it's not just bass fishing. Like he goes on those tuna trips, and he, he's a fishy guy. That's for sure. He is one fishy mofo. That's that's putting it lightly. He is for sure. Um. Okay, so outside of glide baits, what are some of your other favorite baits, like the battle shad and stuff? Do you have like any favorite wake baits or any swimmers, like bukas swimmers or anything like that, or is it Matt, just kind of glides that you're I fascinated do, with? I do, I do throw the eight nine inch bullshed. Uh, I throw the the Matt Lures closer. That's a confidence bait for me. If I'm if I'm throwing multi joints, a lot of times if I can't get bit on the bullshed for some reason, I can get bit on that closer. I've usually got one rod with a multi-joint bait tied on, one rod with a glide bait tied on, one rod with a soft bait, and I'm going to have all those on deck. There may be a one or two of those rods that only gets picked up once or twice or might not get picked up at all during the daytime, yeah. but it's all about having the tools to cover the top, middle, and bottom of whatever depth water column you're fishing. Yeah, and I, I got a good question for you. In a multi-joint bait, obviously, um, off the top of my head, there's two that just stick right out. You got the crank down, obviously, and then kind kind of the countdown like you can do with the uh, nine, ten, and eleven inch bull shads, or like mm-hmm. the even like the BGC crank down, or or even the dredger and stuff. Do you have a preference over one or the other, or is it just kind of more of like uh, whatever you have or whatever uh, whatever's available to you? I I like just the baits that sink down, countdowns, uh, yeah. crank downs. I don't have a lot of experience with. I've got a few of them, but that's probably my that's probably the bait style of bait that I've got the least confidence in. Uh, really? And it's just because I don't throw them that a lot, you know. Yeah. Uh, I throw the bull sheds, I throw the closer, and I also throw the ten inch triple trout a lot, which I don't know anybody else around here that throws the ten inch triple trout. It's a very specific bite on that bait for me. It doesn't happen often, but I keep one close by because there's certain days where i can catch fish on that 10 inch triple trout when i can't catch it on the closer or the bullshit and i can't explain to you why it's just a different swim you know yeah and and i feel like um that obviously i mean this is just complete facts here but those countdowns are are way more efficient because because you can count them down you can kind of pick and choose how deep you want to fish it fish it over structure crank down i mean it's it's generally one depth and that's if you're burning it, and then it, I mean, you can't really slow roll it because it will crank itself down to however deep the bill lets it go, which is kind of a turnoff. But it's also like if you're fishing a lake like uh, Lake St. Clair, Lake St. Clair is like 12 foot all the way across. So if you're running across boulders and you have a 10, 10 foot diving bait, like that's pretty standard. You're going to probably catch a lot of fish with that. Whereas like 
fishing a lake down by you where it fluctuates, where, where you actually need a topo map, topo map to, to look and, and dissect it a little bit. That's kind of where the versatility of a countdown definitely is, is a way bigger factor than just a standard crank down. And see, a lot of times that's the way I'm using the, the, the hard baits, the multi-joint baits, is I'm just counting them down, you know, and I know what depth range I'm fishing, and I know, you know, where I want to fish that bait in the column, and it's just easier for me to keep one of those down in the depths than it is a glide bait a lot of times, you know. So, and I'll have fish that, there, there's days where they won't eat a glide bait, but they'll eat a multi-joint. It's just a different action, you know. Uh, yeah. The countdown to me, even though I don't fish them much, I would think just from from the little experience that I have with those, the big advantage to fishing those would be like around timber and stuff where you can really bang them off of stuff without getting them hung up like you would just a you know a multi joint without a bill on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, what what's your experience with wake baits? Are you a big wake bait guy, or are you kind of like me in the same boat? Uh, we don't have a huge wake bait bite on my home lake. It's a highly pressured lake. Uh, my home lake is 560 acres and it's, I mean, people think I'm kidding or exaggerating. I'm not, man. Any Saturday or Sunday during the spring, summer and fall, there's going to be 40, 60, sometimes 70 boats on that lake. You know what I mean? Like it's covered up with pressure. Uh, I've seen tournaments out there where there were a hundred boats on 500 acres. Uh, So there's usually if I'm fishing a wake bait, it's, it's a very specific set of uh, circumstances that, that will that will have me tie on a wake bait. If I start to see some signs that things are going on on top of the water, uh, and I've thrown, you know, I, I love topwater fishing. I always did when I was fishing conventional. So I, I've gone through a lot of wake baits. I've had some success on several wake baits. I've thrown wake baits all the way up to 10 inches, and I there's not a wake bait that I've held in my hand that's had more big bites than just a standard bull shad wake the six inch shad wake i mean i don't know what it is about that bait but i get i've had more big bites on that bait than any other three baits wake baits that i've held in my hand uh the other top water bait that i that i really one of my favorite baits to fish and there's like i said it's certain circumstances where i break something like that out a wake bait or any kind of top top but the lunker punker i love to throw the lunker punker yeah i i like the punker a lot too i just wish i could get a damn bite on it but i like fishing them they're fun they're a lot of fun to fish they're fun to watch that thing go back and forth and never see a fish blow up on it but the day i get on a lunker on a punker bite that's when the fish are in trouble because i'll i'll cast that thing till my arms fall off if they're eating it well you know they eat it at so many different retrieves with that thing i've been kind of amazed since i got mine last year it's just you know i can sometimes i can trigger a bite with that bait when i can't with a wake bait or, any, or even a subsurface bait you know yeah. it's just a and sometimes, man, there's this, it's not just the motion of it that you see with your eyes. Like you can get a certain cadence going with that bait where it's, it starts to make this rhythmic sound as it comes through the water. Mm-hmm. Man, it can trigger some nasty strikes. What, uh, what, what size and is it wood or ABS? Mine is one of the original wood. Uh, it's not, an, I don't think it's an OG, but it was before they went to the dolphin lip. It's one of the yep. older punkers it's a mine's a seven inch i'd love to have an eight inch mine's a seven inch wood and uh man i absolutely love fishing that bait it there's times when it's not even the i know it's not the deal but if i skunk for six seven eight hours straight i'll put the punker on just because i want to fish it you know? yeah yeah like if i'm a skunk I, i'm gonna skunk the way i want to yeah i had so fun little quick story here that i don't think i've ever shared before 
uh, at one point in time, like my second, my first or second year into fishing, I had a five inch bull shad and I caught like one fish on it. And it just, it just wasn't the bait for me at the time. So I sold or I traded it. I traded it for a depths 175. And, um, after that didn't, did not like the depths 175 didn't swim like I wanted it to traded that for a, Oh, what was it? Oh, I traded that for the eight inch. It was either like, I don't think it was an OG, but it was definitely a super nice eight inch wooden punker with like a trout paint on it. Super beautiful bait. And mm. uh, then I traded that for the a ball and ball and blam 300 when they were like brand new. And, uh, and then I actually sold that bait to Bo because I brought, I bought a prototype uh, rod and blank off of Brad at F5. And I remember like, I remember trading and I was like, oh my gosh, like this just keeps getting better. And it just kept getting better and better and better. I'm like, if I could do this with any bait, that'd be freaking awesome. Just keep up trading. Like that was, that was probably the coolest summer ever just because I'd, I'd get a new bait and it was just a little bit better than the last one. I was like, this is pretty damn cool right here. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's one thing I don't do a lot of. I don't trade a lot of baits. I do occasionally. You know, if I if I see that a bait's not going to have a place in my arsenal, then I'll usually trade it or sell it or maybe even give it away trying to inspire somebody to get into swim baiting. But uh, most of what I've got here, man, is stuff I'm going to use. Now, there's certain baits I've got that I may only use for a couple of months out of the year, you yeah. know, but I just keep it hanging here because I know that time of year is coming again next year, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I cleaned out my tackle box in my car and I didn't think I had that many baits. And I, I really, I don't have that many baits. I probably have like 14 baits and I just, I just didn't think I had that many because they're not like, not, this isn't a jab or anything, but they're not hanging up on my wall. Like they were in my tackle box in my river bag because I yeah. them all last year. Like I didn't really have like, I didn't have them up on display or on my desk or whatever. And it's like, damn, yeah. like that kind of feels good. Like I didn't think I had that many baits, but it's just because like I was fishing them throughout the year and I was catching fish on them. So that, that's, that's kind of a cool feeling, cool feeling for me because at one point in time I had and the DRT ghosts were brand new in the States. I had that, a mother, a Hinkle, two, two fifties. I had a phony. Um, I had just, just a whole bunch of stuff and I caught fish on all of them except for the ghost but it was just like all these baits were just sitting in my room because i was just not ca like catching fish consistently enough with them to bring more than one out or to be on a bite that one was biting over the other and it was just i don't know i i'm kind of glad it's not like that anymore because there was a lot of money tied up there with stuff that never saw the water for more than a couple casts a month but oh well i, I like i like the situation i'm in now it makes me feel good that i'm now hoarding stuff on the market that that other guys would would want to fish or be able to catch fish on I'm the same way. I don't want to have anything sitting here just because I, I don't believe in it for me. I don't, I don't, I'm not a guy who knocks somebody who collects swim baits. Everybody's got to collect something, you know, for me, I don't feel like I have a swim bait collection. I have an arsenal. There are pieces of that arsenal that only get used during certain situations. There are parts of that arsenal that only get used for a, you know, a handful of weeks throughout the year. But Everything that I have is either I just got it and I'm testing it out to see if it fits in my arsenal or it is already a part of my arsenal, whether a small part or, or a, you know, something that I throw all the time, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that uh, if I would have had Jason Carroll Swimbait Reviews page um, when I first got into it, 
I would have saved a lot of money. And I know I've said that before, but he's really doing justice for guys who, who want to get baits, but they don't know how they swim or they don't know if it's like their style. Like I, I tell him all the time, I'm like, dude, like if I wanted to really get this bait, but it does not swim like I thought it was. Um, there was the eludes, uh, the elude SFC, whatever. It's like that two piece, uh, uh, kind of glide bait, but it sits on top of the water. And I really wanted one of those. And then he's, he's like, Oh, well the resin one kind of swims like it. And he actually sold me a resin one. And dude, I caught so many fish on this thing. Like I, I saw the video and I'm like, I need that bait right there. And I'm like, but they're super hard to come by. And he's like, Oh, well, I have a resin one too. So I bought the resin one and exactly right. I caught so many damn fish on it. And I'm like, yeah, if I probably would have overlooked the bait because it's not, it's not 10 inches tall or 10 inches long and it's not six ounces like every other bait that I have is, which I mean, I don't care. I've caught, like I said, I caught so many smallmouth on it last year. I don't care how big it is. It's a swim bait and it's, it's damn fun to catch. And I caught a lot of big fish on it. So that, that fits everything I needed to. It checks all my boxes. Absolutely. If it checks that box for me, it's probably not going anywhere because I know there's going to be another window of time where that bait's going to perform again, even if it's not right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's hard to, to sell something that, that works or that, that, uh, um, uh, carries its weight, I guess, probably be a good way of saying it. Like if it's doing its job, then I'm not going to fire it. That's for sure. <laughs> that's it. That's the ticket is just finding the tools that work for you. And you know, too, to the young guys that are just coming into swim baiting, man, the tools that work for me and that work for the next guy, that might not even be the tool that work that that works on your waters or that, that you have confidence in after you get out and put the time in with these baits. You know, it's all about finding what works for you and the situations you're fishing and your style of fishing. Man, it's like we almost just wrote up this next question into our script here. Uh, going off of this, what is the gear that you entrust to catch all these big fish you catch? And and uh, what are the rods, reel, and in line and stuff you you go out and you, you're confident in and, and you know that's not going to give out on you when the time comes for the big fish? I use, I use specifically F5 rods. Everything <laughs> in my swim bait arsenal is F5 rods. Uh I use the MBT 867 for the really big stuff, uh, and I'll go back and forth between big soft baits and big glad baits uh, on that rod. I've got a Blacklist 800 that does a lot of my work. That's my Legend rod and, and other baits, you know, in that size range up to six inch, six ounces. Uh, and then I've got two rods, Ghost Code rods that are the 760 and 710 that I've throw smaller baits on and when i say smaller i'm talking you know up to four ounce baits uh yeah but those those baits don't get as much swim time with me as the, as the bigger stuff does it's really the 800 and 867 that i spend probably 80 percent of my time with there are situations if i'm fishing big big baits all day i'll come up to a situation up shallow or something around a dock or something where i'll, I'll pick one of those rods up and throw a chad chad something smaller that's not going to spook the fish off if they're being super spooky that day but uh it's mostly the heavier rods and currently i'm running all abu garcia reels um the revo beast 40 on my my big rod i also have i have some other reels that i can use but right now everything that i use on a daily basis is either abu uh Revo Beast 40 or Revo Beast X. And yeah. I, I do have a 400 uh, Calcutta that I can fish big soft baits on if I really want that slower gear ratio. And I've got a Daiwa Tatula 300 uh, that I haven't been super impressed with. I tore it up about 
probably less than 10 trips in, so I got to send it and have it repaired. Mm. Otherwise, it seemed like a great reel, but something went wrong with it. Uh, so I'm going to have that repaired. And as far as line goes, I use mono for glides. I'm not a huge fan of fluorocarbon. I know a lot of guys use that. I think it's just my setups and the hooks that I prefer to use. I like the owner ST36. I get a lot of fish that just slash at the bait with that hook. Um, yeah. And I think that mono is part of the equation. And the rod and the, the mono line is what allows me. I mean, I've had guys message me and say, man, there's no way you caught that 10, 10 pound bass on an ST36. I've been them out on three pounders. And I'm like, yeah, well, here's the thing. I see this question a lot out of young guys, or not, not necessarily young guys, but guys coming into the swim bait game. Hey, what hook should I use? What rod? What rod? And then another guy will say, what line? The answer is you've got to find the rod, the line, and the hooks that all work together to accomplish what you're looking for. Because you can take an ST36, which I love, and if you throw glide baits with an ST36 on braid, you're going to bend hooks out and lose fish. That's just yeah. the way it works, you know. So you really got to find that perfect combination. I do use fluoro for soft baits. Uh I don't really have a fluoro that I love, but I've been using Invisex for about the last year. It's a it's a strong line. I like it better than the Abrazex. And I use braid for walking baits, and occasionally for a soft bait, I'll tie braid to leader uh, for certain situations. But most of the time, it's mono on glides because I like that stretch. Yeah, and are you a double San Diego jam guy? I can't remember. Double double San Diego jam, not across the board for everything. I even use it That's if I'm throwing like. a if I'm throwing a jig or a spinner bait now. I even tie the double San Diego yeah. jam. I've just got that much confidence in that knot. Yeah, I I I I've been tying the uh, SD jam just this year. Just when I go out and I, and I like it. It's it's easy to tie. I'm gonna. I don't know. I, I sit at work when I don't have anything to do. I sit at work and I just look up knots and I tie them on my water bottle because I got a bunch of like rope and stuff. So I'm gonna mess with the double, <clears throat> the double tomorrow because uh, it's not that many more steps, is it? I don't. I don't think it is. Now with I don't. I'm not really familiar with what the regular San Diego jam is. I've heard guys talk about. It. Do you actually double the line over before you go through the line tie with that? Yeah. Knot? Yep. So you do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a double San Diego. I'm not sure what the difference is. The double San Diego, you just double it over and you, you know, you put like a foot of tagline when you double it over. You oh, pull it okay. Wait. Yeah. Okay. I know. I know what you're talking about now. No. So yeah. you just do a single line, like an improved clench knot, and then you go back up through the, you go underneath and then you go back through the top. So just essentially you're just taking two tag ends and doing that, right? Yeah. When you get done with the double San Diego, you'll have three tag ends when okay. you, you okay. finally yep. get your nonsense down. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense now. I, I I knew what you were saying, but until like I sat here and I thought about how to do it, and then I'm like, oh wait, no, there's only one tag. And okay, I, I know what we're talking about now. I'm back on track. <laughs> yeah, you'll have you'll have three tags once you get done with the sub, double San Diego jam knot. And I'll be honest with you, I've I've casted off a few baits, and I've had a couple of baits taken away by fish. It's never been at the knot since I started using that. Knot. So I've got 110 percent confidence in that knot. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I'd always tied the improved clinch knot and had any problems. But I'm like, I just I kind of want to start tying something a little bit different. And that San Diego jam knot, those guys used it for tuna, so it's like, oh, 
I don't think I'm going to have a problem with a three-pound river smallmouth. Like, I'd like to see the river smallmouth. That, unless I tie it wrong, I better not be losing anything. I must be tying it wrong if I am, that's for sure. For sure, man. Oh, man. But, uh, Jason, where can, where can the people find you after hearing this uh, thought-intriguing slash uh, philosophical, bass philosophical episode? Where, where can they find you on the socials? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, just Jason Flusher. Uh, you can go check out the Double Digit Bass Facebook page also. I own and administrate that page. Uh, Instagram, jflesh.bassin. Uh, YouTube, jflesh.bassin. Heck yeah, man. And as always, all that stuff will will be in the show notes. You guys can go uh, go check out Jason Follow. Make sure you guys follow Double Digit Bass, especially if you got a zine and you really like that trophy, trophy talk. Uh, uh, article because that is jason's baby and uh he he put in a lot of work into that and he knows the guys if 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 it was if i didn't come to jason with that idea it would not be happening because i just i don't know guys like he knows and i don't uh i'm not as familiar with with the with the sport of trophy bass fishing as far as he does so he knows the guys to talk to he knows the questions to ask and so that i i think that's the perfect match for him to to write those articles because yeah, it's in his wheelhouse relative to a lot more than than it would be if if I was the one who tried to tackle that idea. But uh, hey, Dan, I look forward I look forward to doing more of them with you, man. And I appreciate you bringing me on for that, and uh, I'm excited about the future for your magazine. Heck yeah, man! I'm excited. I think uh, I think I don't know. Everybody's getting them today, so we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, the 22nd. So guys are starting to get their magazines today, getting them tomorrow, getting them into Friday. And uh, I I had Gail, I had Burrito Bates Gail uh, make a post on Instagram saying he really liked it. And I was like, you know, that that's enough for me. If Gail said he liked it, then I'm I'm on cloud nine. That's a guy I look up to. He's a super cool guy. He's very knowledgeable. And uh, if he says it's a super cool thing that he thinks is going to go far, then that's enough for me. I don't care. I don't care if all 199 other people that bought a magazine didn't like it so far. Gail said he likes it, man. I'm waking up tomorrow <laughs> on that magazine. <laughs> that's exactly right man gail's one of a kind man if anybody understands the deeper things of swim bait uh a lot of things about swim bait and fishing in general is that guy he's very smart yeah he is he's a smart guy he's definitely had some time on the water but uh as always i want to thank jason for coming on the episode like i said all of his socials and uh double digit bass will be linked in the uh description of the show notes and as always, make sure if you guys don't already, follow the podcast, Instagram, scales and tails underscore podcast. Uh, when you guys are listening to this, we'll be, oh, geez, okay, next Monday. Okay, so there won't be the new monthly sticker out or anything. But uh, like I said, if you guys enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a rating on your listening platform. Like I said, make sure you guys follow Jason. I'll, I'll, even, link, uh, I'll even link his big cast to catch in the description so you guys can go watch that. I know uh, Ross did that the other day, and, and a lot of people who hadn't seen it uh, were very intrigued by it and were commenting on the video and stuff. So I'll put that in here because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this haven't seen the video or, or maybe um, have seen it but scrolled right past because they maybe didn't know who it was or anything. So. Once you guys are listen, done listening to the podcast, you can go watch the cast to catch. So, as always, I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Jason for coming on, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I will talk to you guys next time. See you guys.